Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. On this week's episode, Board of Parks and Recreation Commissioner Scott Wagner joined Northeast News publisher Michael Bushnell for an update on the Kansas City Museum. They discussed the Kansas City Museum Foundation transition, trials currently in Hall is faced leading up to its current renovation, and how the past has led to where the museum is today. This episode was made possible by Mark Co-op, Shemekas Retail Market in Delhi, and Together KC. Your history with the museum goes back 10 years when Ruth Ann appointed you to the MAB. What was that like and what was the MAB tasked with at that stage of the game? Yeah, so so actually it was uh, longer. It's about 15 years ago uh, when that uh, came forward. That was about 2005. Okay. And it was during the time of uh, when uh, Kay Barnes was mayor. And uh, this was a, a group that um, Ruth Ann Harper had insisted that uh, Mayor Barnes bring forward uh, to to really help talk about how uh, the museum and, and Corinthian Hall and that complex, probably even more specifically, could move forward. Because uh, what I think was the uh, driving force behind that was uh, just the idea that just a few years prior, you had that merger of uh, the Kansas City Museum Association Union Station to form uh, Union Station Kansas City, which, as as folks might remember, this was uh, from the discussion of the of the the tax that helped bring Union Station back, mm-hmm. the establishment of Science City, which was a big push from the museum and its leadership at that time. So you know that all kind of happens around 1999, 2000. Fast forward a few years, there's this huge concern that as everyone has essentially moved to Union Station, well, what's going on here at at this location at this property? And so that uh, advisory group was formed really to start a- asking the question of what is going to happen and um, what can be brought forward to do um, reuse, if you want to call it that. Um, but, but kind of beginning that planning process to figure out what's, what's going to happen at this site. And so, um, you know, I was fortunate to be named on that. There were a few folks, uh, within Northeast, um, some other folks like, uh, um, you know, uh, Mike Burke, um, you know, who'd been, who's been around and continues to be around, uh, and others, uh, Bob Llewellyn, uh, who was on the park board, uh, at the time. Uh, so, you know, you started to form uh, this group who would really begin to have this conversation and, and advocate on behalf of the museum. Well, the agreement with Union Station was, and it really depended on who you asked, it was tenuous from my, from my estimation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the Union Station saw that mill levy as a potential revenue stream for them. And really that was kind of you really had to dance very carefully around that and how did the Kansas City Museum Advisory Board do that and develop policies and practices that were amicable to both Union Station and uh, the Kansas City Museum? Well, that was a great question. Uh, and one may argue whether or not that was actually accomplished. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the 
you know, th there was certainly always a question about use of the mill levy because the, uh, the state law that created it was very specific, even address specific, as you know. And, and so kind of the, the question or the murkiness came in was, well, um, the museum is not just the structure, but it's the collection too, right? And so, you know, there, that became the lead in in many respects as to how those dollars were being used. Because on the one hand, you have the structures and how are they being maintained and, and how is it being operated? And then on the other, it's what do you do with these collections and how do you put them uh, in a place that, for example, is humidity controlled and temperature controlled, mm -hmm. which then got into how a part of Union Station got built out to include some of those storage facilities and they're still there today and there's mm -hmm. still used to house uh, some of that collection. And so, um, but, but on a much broader scale, then there's still a discussion point of, well, who actually owns the collection? And what makes it even murkier, uh, a lot of murkiness in this conversation, but what makes it murkier is that you have this, um, this original Kansas City Museum Association that's kind of the, that runs the museum that is responsible for these exhibits, but then it it goes away in favor of a successor organization, USKC which makes then the ownership of some of those collections that much more murky. Mm -hmm. um, so then when you start talking about, well, how are we using this mill levy? And, well, you know, is it really museum stuff or is it Union Station stuff? You kind of had this argument of, well, how do you tell the difference between the two? Which then, you know, when you have a spirit of collaboration, you can work through that. Mm -hmm. When you have kind of a, a standoffish leadership, as we were finding during that time at Union Station, well, well now you're asking even more questions as a result. And that's, that's kind of what happened. And, you know, it took... Um, several years and, and frankly, several uh, union station CEOs to really get to a point of, okay, now let's be constructive about our conversation and what are we actually doing and why? And, um, you know, I, I would say, you know, the, the, the last, well, really, you know, uh, with George Costello, when he came in and I'll give credit to Sean O'Byrne when he was the interim, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, you had a you had a much more co collegial conversation um, with maybe one one episode as an as uh, an exception to that. <laughs> but uh, and it was a big one. But but that's all to say, you know, someone was speaking on behalf of the history of the museum and and that was the board the the the, the this advisory board's function mm -hmm. asking the questions on behalf of the city that no one wanted to ask and and pushing to make sure that there were good answers to those which some were good some were not um and uh, but i think it helped put us in the position that we're in today yeah i can i can remember a couple times where we actually and this goes back years. Tracy was our editor at that time. And mm -hmm. we questioned some of the things that Andy was doing. Yeah. And 
it was a day much like today, only it was raining torrentially. And he called us up to Shoal Creek to, to first admonish us and then uh-huh. give us his presentation on, it was that hub spoke. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah. And, <laughs> and I always, after that, I always kind of felt like the, the Andy had to justify everything to us and then go ahead and do it. And us as the newspaper, because we, yeah. were, we were posing those questions as well. And so I, yeah, totally understand. Yeah, well, and, and you know, you, you bring up an interesting um, episode because it was really that one that I think uh, galvanized uh, city council. You know, Deb Herman was a big advocate mm-hmm. for the museum. Um, and certainly the rest of the board at that time to say, well, well wait a minute. If that's the plan, that is a much different plan than what was originally contemplated for this museum. I mean, for, mm-hmm. for I think the way we looked at the museum, and I think most people in, in Northeast did, you had a facility that was the museum. And what was being suggested at that time um, by, by leadership at Union Station and Andy was this hub concept where now you, you have this brand that is the Kansas City Museum, and now that brand gets shared among a number of different assets. And so, you know, it was you know the idea was there's the Kansas City Museum um, at Corinthian Hall, the Kansas City Museum at uh, you know at Shoal Creek, and mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Which you know on its face, like well, okay, you know whatever. But when you burrow into that, and what does that actually mean? You know, I think. The, the advisory board said, well, well, what you're really doing is spreading out the brand. Mm-hmm. And now we don't have the Kansas City Museum. We have a chunk of it, which right. isn't the same. Right. And I think that was, you know, from from my point of view, I think that was really the beginning of the end for uh, for Andy as far as his leadership at Union Station, um, which then got into uh, to Sean O'Byrne and then subsequently to that to George mm-hmm. um, but yeah it was that was an interesting time an interesting marketing exercise uh, I must say uh, that we were in kind of an experiment with <laughs> <laughs> I will always remember and, and I can't remember what event it was it was at Corinthian Hall and he actually drove the fire truck whichever one I can't I think it was the Aaron's Fox up to the museum and he stopped at Gladstone and Walren and said, look, Mr. Bushnell, I'm here from Union Station with this great fire. (laughs) Hi, how are you? (laughs) Kind of an awkward moment. That was Andy, I guess. Well, many awkward moments during that time, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, Moving forward chronologically, you become an elected official as a city council person. So you bring that unique skill set of being involved uh, before, and that's kind of during, and you kind of chart us to what we're seeing today. What challenges did you as an elected official have to overcome legislatively in order to see that process through? Well, um, you know, part part of it. Well, what is what is the old saying? You know, leave. Um, uh, don't let a good crisis um, 
be unused or so there's, there, you know, I used to be in politics more so I could kind of just say those, those wonderful phrases. Never let the crisis go to waste. The, see, see, you're a politician, so good job. Um, <laughs> but no, that, that's, that's right. You know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. And so in this particular case, um, this, the crisis that came was when Union Station a leadership fired a very popular uh, manager of the museum. Um, who was doing a great job. Um, and it was kind of out of the blue, it was just poof. And, and that certainly, and I think rightfully, got the attention of um, particularly the Scare Renaissance neighborhood uh, because they have, uh, in, in a sense, that's been their baby for decades because it's there. And um, I don't think the... Union Station leadership at that time expected the firestorm that it would cause. And um, as that continued to, um, to, to catch fire uh, and to fester and to, to grow, um, you know, that's, that was really, I think, in many respects, the last straw for, for everybody all the way around. I, I think... Uh, you know, Union Station leadership was still relatively new. The, the new leadership was relatively new. Uh, so I think they were trying to figure out, well, how do we get out of this? I think from the neighborhood perspective, it was kind of a last straw. And for someone uh, like myself, even though, um, you know, I was an at-large councilman, so it wasn't in my district, but I had probably more knowledge and information than, than those that represented the area. So, you know, I think that then created an opportunity to start talking about, okay, let's, you know, you can't gloss over this one. Th this one has exposed all the old scars and, and, and so we're, we're going to have to do something a little bit different. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Sponsored by Together KC, encouraging you to vote yes to renew the e-tax on Tuesday, April 6th. The 1% Kansas City earnings tax pays for critical city services, including first responders, street repair, trash pickup, and more. Without it, we face devastating cuts to these services. Please vote yes on April 6th. Together KC is responsible for the content of this advertisement. Shemekas Online Market in Delhi, offering catering and nationwide shipping at shemekasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas City. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. Welcome to the table. The Merck Co-op is a grocery store owned by your neighbors and you if you choose. Unlike corporate chains, Merck Co-op is totally independent and owned by the community members who shop here. Merck Co-op, your community-owned grocery store and so much more. Stop in today at 501 Minnesota Avenue in Kansas City, Kansas, or see our weekly ad in the Northeast News. And now back to the newscast. I'll actually give Jim Glover, who was fourth district at large councilman at the time, some credit because I, I, I seem to recall it was him who first suggested, well, you know, what if we get the park department involved? And I thought, you know, that is a great idea um, because I think what was really necessary was to show that, you know, if you, if you don't trust the management you've got, then you've got to create a new management model to, to start putting some, getting some faith back into what's going on. 
And so, you know, after having some conversations about this uh, with the city manager, Troy Schulte at the time, uh, talking to, uh, to others, uh, both in the park department and, uh, uh, and, and electeds, uh, you know, as well, you know, I, I think what we hit on was, you know, if the idea is that you want to propel the museum forward and there is really no clear plan to do it. I used to say around that time, you know, it's, it's hard to have two masters. And in this case, you know, kind of referring to Union Station and its and its board who, you know, one one has to recognize at that time Union Station had huge problems eating into their reserves, huge deficit, all that kind of stuff. You know, you, you, you know, so, you know, if, you know, from, from the point of view I had at that time, and I think others shared was, well, if, if that's the situation at Union Station and you're saying, but we also want a plan and attention uh, to, uh, to the museum, how do we expect that to occur? Right. Again, you know, you cannot have two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other, which is maybe a little overboard, but just to say you're going to give the attention to one at the expense of the other. So clearly someone has to take this on. And, and I think the confidence that we had with parks was in the knowledge that, you know, the park department had run the museum or, or excuse me, the zoo starlight Liberty Memorial, um, but it then gave way to uh, private management, mm -hmm. Friends of the Zoo, Liberty Memorial Association, so on and so forth. So, you know, now I will tell you that the park board at that time wasn't necessarily eagerly anticipating having a museum, uh, you know, but I think, um, again, with good leadership uh, that the park department had and still has, but Mark McHenry, of course, director at the time, mm -hmm. you know, I think we were able to say, you know, here's a pathway here that makes some sense. And, you know, we're, we're not gonna, we're, we're not gonna go um, try to split the baby on the collections. We'll work with those collectively, but, let's just figure out how do we put the grounds, the, the museum in a place where it's got good management, people are confident in that management and, and, and we can develop plan, a plan to really move it in the right direction. And that's ultimately where everyone agreed uh, to go on. And that I think helped set the stage to where we're at now. And, and speaking of that plan, um, we've been closed what two and a half three years give or take uh 22 million dollars into a renovation restoration project and if uh if you haven't been in and i know you probably have right you've been in a, so you've, several you've times you, it, yeah it's absolutely drop dead gorgeous and i'm really excited about it uh what are your thoughts as we essentially herald a new era for the museum as something it's never been and that is a regional destination right well you know I, I would say and i know there are others um who probably share the memories i mean you know my first memory you know and i i grew up in the in the northland in gladstone right but my first memories were, uh, of the museum was going through the igloo 
as I'm sure, you know, yep. and, 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 and the greatest disappointment I have is in telling people that, you know, the igloo is gone and, <laughs> and, 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 uh, that particular one is not coming back. Um, uh, but, uh, at, at any rate, you know, the, the whole idea is that that facility is to tell Kansas City's story. And what, um, you know, and back when it be, was a museum uh, or, or when it first became a museum, you know, in the late 30s, early 40s, you know, Kansas City looked vastly different than it is today. It was still more more urban as opposed to the, today being, ex, you know, suburban, exurban and so on and so forth. Uh, which creates the challenge for the facility now to tell a compelling story that draws people there on a consistent basis. And I think with with what we're seeing, both in terms of uh, its... Um, you know, it's collections and how that can be used in both a, a static ongoing sense, as well as being part of an overall um, uh, special exhibit kind of thing where you can see different pieces. You know, the fact that there is a, um, a, a, a real desire to include the history of neighborhoods here. Uh, now, you, you know, it's, you know, for those who remember going through even just five or six years ago, um, you know, it was, it was a story that was not a dynamic one. You know, it, it, um, you know, it, it was the same museum you walked through in the seventies minus when they had to shut the, the third floor down. Right. And, and, and now you have what I see is kind of this, this hybrid of, you know, kind of a house museum. So you can have a, a sense of kind of that gilded age. Mm -hmm. There's the, those ongoing exhibits uh, that tells, helps tell the story of Kansas city. There's those special exhibits that tell the story of, uh, of what's um, of, you know, that can be brought in and out. You have neighborhood stories that are being told. You have the opportunity to, you know, Go have your phosphate, but also, um, you know, go have a meal there all in one building. And, and it tells me that, you know, we're creating something that people can come to from all over the city, all over the region and learn a little something about this community. And I think that's very exciting. And the other thing that I think is both exciting and a challenge is the, just the fact that, you know, Technically, even when this reopens, we're still not finished. We have, you know, the gatehouse. We have other buildings in that complex that uh, are still in need of renovation and still in need of programming. And so, you know, it's an opportunity to, to grow in, in a way. You can, you know, we can add to the story of Kansas City because we'll have new venues in which to tell, which, which will grow out over time but i think that creates an opportunity for connection and and even more participation over time which keeps it relevant in the long term and i think that's um that's what we're all interested in and, you know as long as it's relevant then there's reasons for people to come and hear the story and participate and be a part of it and i think that's good uh that's good for the museum but that's also good for our surrounding neighborhoods that hopefully uh, will also get a benefit from a very dynamic and energized museum i i have to agree with you about the neighborhoods part 
because as as a as an amateur historian, if you will, uh, the library hired me to do postcard presentations on various Kansas City neighborhoods, and I think you attended a few of those as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that was the most difficult to research were the neighborhoods on the east side. And there wasn't a lot there to pull from in terms of uh, not just postcards. I mean, you've got Truce Lake and maybe Linwood and, and Paseo, the St. Regis Hotel, stuff like that. But everything else, it was there's just not a lot there. So that's one of the things I told Anna Marie. I'm really looking forward to see that history become a, a new and integral part of Kansas City history as a whole, because right now there's not a lot there for the East. No, no. And, and I think, you know, for for most people, the extent of what they know is, uh, you know, is 12th and 18th and Vine, um, you know, maybe where uh, the Memorial Stadium or Municipal Stadium, you know, mm -hmm. used to be. Um, and yet there is so much more in the telling of Kansas City's history along the east side, you know, whether you want to talk about uh, the old Leeds area and, and its importance, uh, whether you want to talk about, you know, what's what's what was going on in Vineyard neighborhood, what, um, you, you know, Washington Wheatley, you, you know, you know, all these areas that you know, have, have been an important part of Kansas City and its identity. And, 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 I, and I use that term in both positive and negative connotations too. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Right? And, but, but, you know, as we talk about facing our history, you know, it's more than just, um, you, you know, the name that's attached to a street, although there is great symbolic importance to that. And as a member of the park board, I understand that. And we've, We've had a few of these decisions related to those <laughs> things, but but there's also that that history of what was going on in that area. You know, um, you know, you, you take a place like 31st and Troost. Um, you know, lots of history, both that is impactful to our African-American history in Kansas City, but even our Native American history in Kansas City. And those stories don't get told, but they can, they can, and now they will be right. uh, as the museum uh, moves forward on that. And I think, you know, there's a value, you know, kind of to your point, you know, I think part of what has interfered, at least in my experience with the museum, is this attitude that some people have that the museum is only a Northeast asset. Mm. And the reality is that it is a Kansas City regional asset because of the stories that are told. Mm -hmm. But the only way to make people understand that is you actually have to tell those stories. You actually have to be able to see them. And, and you know, that's, that's the exciting part about the museum is that it, it, it's going to become a venue for doing that. So um, very exciting and, and, um, and, and, you know, never would have imagined um, where we would be when I started on that first advisory board committee in 2005, <laughs> that 16 years later, you know, we're on the cusp of this and that's very exciting. So then going to that point, 16 years later, you're, you're a foundation member, you're a parks commissioner. Um, why is this important for the foundation to take over the functions of Kansas City Museum and why now? Well, I think 
why the why it's important is is for the very reason that we see um, you know these same sorts of management systems at the zoo at Starlight at uh, Liberty Memorial. Um, the idea, you know, parks and recreation. Um, I think for most people, they are most concerned that parks um, mows the park. Uh, that we have good recreational options for people uh, in those parks um, and that to the extent that we can provide some level of programming and locations, whether it's community centers or whatnot, uh, that, that, we, that we do that. And I think for most people, uh, at least from the surveys that I've seen over the years, that's the thing they expect the department to be able to do. What, what, um, what we're less good at, and I, I use that term loosely and probably incorrectly, is that, you know, to, to run assets like a museum, like a zoo, like a whatever, mm-hmm. um, there are, you know, there are philanthropic elements to that. There are, there are volunteer elements to that. There is an intensity of managing that you really have to have with a group that is the, it is their sole mission to do that. Um, we're not parks. The parks department is, you know, we're, we're good stewards, but we also know that we have to hand things off mm-hmm. to the people who are professional and to the people who's dedicated to that mission. And that's okay because we can still provide um, the, the, um, the oversight that's necessary. We can still provide the transparency that's necessary because all those entities, including a, a museum foundation, will, will answer to us in some form or fashion. But the day-to-day stuff, that's, that's not us. And you don't want it to be us because, you know, if we have a bad mowing day, then does that impact these assets, right? Um, you know, do we, do we take away, you know, do we rob Peter to pay Paul, so mm-hmm. to speak? And that shouldn't be, shouldn't be what we do. And, and I think that's where, you know, you, you see successful organizations, um, you know, doing great work, uh, at these other places, Liberty Memorial, Starlight, and others. And the same can be done here with the Museum Foundation. We, we provide, and the board provides that oversight, but let's let people do the things that they're good at doing and, and let them be successful. And, and so I think, you know, I think that's how we look at it. And I think that's how, you know, most people would expect us to look at it, I, I hope. Um, uh, and, and I think we've got lots of examples where that has been a successful model. Um, and, and so we'll, we'll keep doing what works um, until it doesn't work. But I don't think it's going to quit working. <laughs> <laughs> um, one last final thought. Uh, yeah. in, in my ongoing conversations with Anna Marie, uh, she did want me to at least ask you about the the Bushnell Memorial Beer Garden naming and the size of the plaque that that's going <laughs> to well you know I it's certainly well earned um, 
Uh, I, I'm not sure where that goes, um, but, uh, but, but, but we can, we can have a drink over that and figure that one out. Um, but, uh, but you know, it, you know, all joking aside though, the comment reminds me of what I think is another exciting aspect of what's coming. Uh, you know, I referred earlier to, you know, if you want to get a phosphate, you're going to be able to do that. If you, you know, there's going to be a restaurant in there and, and some may think, well, well, that's, that's crazy. Although if you go to the Nelson, you'll see Roselle court there and, and, and all mm-hmm. that. And, and all of that is, is about how do you make a museum part of the social fabric of, of the neighborhood and of the city, you know, sure. I may have seen X exhibit a million times, but taking the example of the Nelson, it's interesting going to Roselle court, right? You're, you're, the surroundings are, are very interesting and, and you feel like you're, you're embedded uh, in, in the art mm-hmm. because you're there for a different reason. You're there for a social reason. And, and, and I think what is interesting and what I'm hopeful for is the museum is not just seen as a place to see regional Kansas City history. I want it to be, and I hope people will come for that reason. But if someone says, you know, that is an interesting place to go have dinner or lunch, then I hope they go there because then that's another reason for them to be there that may provide them an opportunity to then see something that they didn't see before. And, and so, you know, it's that socialization that I think is, is very interesting uh, that, that, that the museum will bring when it opens. And um, hopefully I'll see a few folks who, who watch this uh, having lunch there or getting their phosphate there. Or as I understand it, you'll even be able to use the old game room and, uh, you know, play, play, uh, you know, a game of pool there. But again, it's, you know, we're now creating that as an opportunity for social gathering that we can see history if we want to see it, but there's other reasons to be there. And I think that's very exciting. And, uh, and I think we'll set it apart, especially for those of us who remember the old igloo and the old bear, right. and all that stuff. Here's a new reason for you to come and, and participate and be a part of your neighborhood in this facility that was meant to be an asset for the city. So I'm excited about it. Final thoughts. Um, Just the overall relief. But but I think also it is important to to realize how many people have touched this institution over the past 18 to 20 years to get it where it is today. And, um, you know, uh, if you'll pardon the term old soldiers, like um, Ruth Ann Harper uh, and, and, and Rita Nell, Gary Marsh, another great one. You know, they have come and gone, but without them, we wouldn't be in the position that we're in today because it has taken just that continuous put to get us where we're at. So, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to speak on their behalf uh, with you today, but I also want to recognize how important those contributions from those individuals, uh, we, we wouldn't be here 
uh, with without that, I wouldn't be talking to you, and we would not be in the position that we're in. And 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 whether it has been you know, one final little plug, whether it's been uh, Anna Marie in her position uh, with the Parks Department, uh, Mark McHenry to Terry Reinard, um, you know Mary Davidson to you know today Shamari Benton, you know all those folks that are there today are standing on the shoulders of giants, the Rita Nells and the Ruth Anns and the Garys, but without everybody along that continuum, this wouldn't be happening. So um, I appreciate getting a little credit today, but I'm standing on their shoulders uh, and I, and I'm just so happy uh, for them uh, that we're able to reach this point. And that was board of parks and recreation commissioner, Scott Wagner. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast newscast. Thank you once again to our sponsors, Merck co-op, Shoemaker's retail market in Delhi and together Casey. All of our Northeast Newscast episodes, articles, and more are available at northeastnews.net. For the Northeast News, I'm Abby Hoover.